Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. What follows is a unique podcast for Living History UK. As I don my walking boots and venture out to Hopworth in Staffordshire and meander my way along Western Command Stop Line number 5, finishing up in Tamworth the ancient capital of Mercia. Along the way, I stop and visit the numerous pillboxes and talk about their past, present and future. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We will never surrender. Those fields that Winston Churchill spoke of in his now famous speech are exactly where I'm standing, a Western Command stop line number five. This is located where I currently am, on the Birmingham and Faisley Canal. And the canal has its own history. The canal opened in 1789 and its chief engineer was John Smeaton. Fantastic slice of the Industrial Revolution, which still is in use today, as you might be able to hear with the, uh, the barges passing behind me. But the focus of today's podcast is the defences of Western Command Stop Line number five. And this stop line is on my doorstep, it's very close to me. And if you want to come and visit, I'll put some information in the description of this podcast below. It's a beautiful day, it's nice and early in the morning, clear blue skies, tranquil, typical, quintessential English summer's morning. And in front of me at the moment is a relic of our past. And this is what is now known as a Type 24 pillbox. So one of the most common varieties of pillbox constructed during the Second World War. And this Type 24 is what we're here to talk about. This is a unique relic of Britain's past, specifically for the Second World War, and for some, even in living memory. 
to anyone who walks past this object today might just see it just as a piece of concrete, a lump of concrete, if you will. But it tells a unique story. It tells the story of when Britain was literally in its last ditch effort to protect its shores and its sovereignty. And it's a fantastic remnant of the Second World War. I'm always drawn to defensive structures like pillboxes and spigot mortars, anti-aircraft positions, because they tell a completely unique story of Britain and just how desperate times were in 1940. So we mentioned this is a Type 24 pillbox. Essentially what that means is there was various, numer well, numerous types of pillboxes all over the country. You had things like the, the Essex, uh, Essex Lozenge, the Suffolk Square, but the Type 24 predominantly is, is the pillbox that is um, built more often than any other. And it's, it's a unique design. So what we have is we have seven embrasures here. So seven loopholes, so it's a seven-sided sort of irregular um, hex hexagon essentially. And what you've got is we are stood with our, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, I'm actually stood with my back to the canal. And in front of us, about 50 yards in front of us, is the River Tame. Um, and the River Tame at this point is what's known as a stop line. And we'll, we'll come on to that a little bit later. But the front of the pillbox is facing the River Tame. So it's using it as a natural barrier to stop the enemy from advancing. Now, the Type 24 came in two varieties. There was a, a bulletproof pillbox and there was a shellproof pillbox. Now, the ones we have on this stop line are all um, bulletproof. They are not uh, shellproof pillboxes. So a shellproof pillbox is actually 12 inches thicker than a bulletproof pillbox. So what we have, we have seven embrasures. We have a door at the back. This one's quite unique actually, although this is visited by numerous people and dog walkers and dogs as it's on a, on a uh, canal towpath, I leave that to your mind's imagination. Uh, it actually has a unique kind of uh, entranceway in that the, uh, just before you go through the door it's actually got a sunken um, little piece of concrete behind it. And you can see where the door was here, you've got the battens still in the wall and there would have been a metal door on here. Um, but you can still see inside is the blast wall, so it's a Y-shaped blast wall and what the purpose of that is, is to stop uh, bullets and grenades and shells going into the pillbox and killing everyone inside so it contains the blast. And this particular pillbox is in remarkable condition. It's a pillbox I've visited many, many times. I can almost remember, uh, to a degree, coming here when I was a very young kid uh, on walks with my father and his friends. And I, I would arguably say that's where my fascination with these incredibly unique structures first came from. But anyway, we've got another five pillboxes to visit, so let's journey on. So as we journey on to the next pillbox, we're going to pick up on a point I mentioned earlier about something called a stop line. Now, a stop line is the name given to a barrier or defence along which pillboxes and defensive uh, structures were either built or structures were repurposed for defensive uh, use for that matter. And in particular here, the stop line or natural barrier utilised is the River Tame. But why were pillboxes built along natural barriers? So the answer really is fairly simple to us, if we, if we put it into layman's terms. So it's not very easy for a tank or mechanised armour to cross a river. We only have to think of uh, Operation Market Garden, where there was the uh, huge attempt to, to take the bridges, to move the armour across and shorten the war. Um, without those bridges, there's a big fear that we're going to be blown up. Of course, you won't be able to advance an army very far. 
So with the result of the Battle of the France looming in uh, the powers that be ears, of course we have the miracle or deliverance of Dunkirk. Some might see it as a resounding defeat of the Allied forces in France. The British quickly realised that they were next on Hitler's hit list. France had fallen and the eyes were turning, the German eyes were turning to Britain. So with the British and French being evacuated from the beaches of Dunkirk, the British knew that Hitler was turning his eyes to the United Kingdom. They were next on his hit list. And so began the home defence network of pillboxes and defensive structures being thrown up all around the UK. So the landing grounds that Churchill spoke of, these beaches and landing grounds, they were covered in bar belts of barbed wire beach scaffolding. They were covered and flanked by pillboxes and machine gun positions. Ironside, General Tony Ironside as he was known, who was a World War I uh, officer and knew all about trench warfare and the importance of defensive hard points like pillboxes. Very quickly began a process of building all these pillboxes across the United Kingdom, starting primarily with the landing grounds. And it's quite remarkable to us now to actually realise that the plans were for the British to actually use chemical agents, chemical warfare against the German troops that could potentially be landing on those beaches. And there's documents that prove this. So they repurposed aircraft to be able to carry chemical agents to drop them on top of people landing on the beaches. And crop sprayers were repurposed for the very same. Incredible to think, it really, really is. But where we are on Western Command stop line number five, which is the, the sort of final defence. So if this stop line fell, that was it. Game was over. And walking along this beautiful section of tranquil English Canal, it's incredibly hard to try and put into your mind's eye that this potentially could have been one of the last battlegrounds in 1940, 1941, the Germans had invaded. It really is. But thankfully, we all know it didn't happen but these were the very decisions and thought processes that were going through the minds of those in power in the early part of the Second World War. So we've just arrived at the uh, location of the second pillbox on this uh, little short jaunt, if you will. Uh, the pillbox, which is actually set back from the canal, it's further towards the river, it's over a fence, so we can't access it. But uh, I have seen photos of it before, it's in very good condition, however, it does stand on a kind of precipice and it will only be a matter of time before that pillbox slides into, into the river, which is a real shame. But what we're working with here is a bulletproof Type 24 uh, again, same as the one before. However, this doesn't wholly face the actual uh, river. It's actually offset slightly to the right and faces towards the bridge. Now, we talked about bridges only a few minutes ago and the importance of them because, of course, the whole idea of having pillboxes here is to form them along a stop line and the idea wasn't to stop the enemy from ever crossing that river it was actually to stop the the enemy for a short period of time because what we had was a mobile defense reserve so this was a concentrated mass of arms uh, and men and they would be called upon to be put into action wherever required across the country so the longer the guys on the stop line could uh, hold the enemy up the more chance of the mobile defense reserve being brought up and put into action uh, there was. So 
This particular pillbox, as I mentioned, it faces towards the river crossing over the River Tame at Hopworth. And uh, it's slightly angled, it covers the, the bridge, although it's set back approximately uh, 100 to 125 metres away from the river crossing itself. And if anyone does come and visit this pillbox, I can just make out inside the doorway, someone's actually painted a skull and crossbones and said, uh, danger, keep out. And I should imagine that's probably been done because of the state of the, the pillbox underfoot, because unfortunately, it's only a matter of time before it does slide into the river. Just a short jaunt away from the pillbox we've just mentioned is Hopper School, in the grounds of which there is a World War II air raid shelter, a jam sandwich. So this was indeed the air raid shelter used by pupils and teachers at the school in the event of an air raid. And I can just see it through the fence now. And you've got a huge whopping slab of concrete on the top with um, a brick, brick walls all around and a few air vents in it. It looks like it's still in use today. Of course, thankfully, not as an air raid shelter, but uh, potentially for some form of uh, outdoor sports games, equipment storage, perhaps. I'm not sure. But as a little bit of a, a brutal mention to just how devastating the Second World War was, especially for these people using the jam sandwich shelters, the reason they're called a jam sandwich is because if a bomb went off nearby, it would blow the brick walls out and the slab of concrete on the top would come crashing down on the inhabitants inside. So we're now walking up into Hoppus itself and we're going to walk past a couple of fantastic pubs. So if you're ever tempted to come and do this walk yourself and visit these pillboxes and sort of engross yourself a little bit more in history because it's not all about textbooks and looking at photos, it's about getting out there and uh, putting your hands actually on pieces of history and finding out about it for yourself in the first person. That's what it's about. That's the, that's the key to living history UK. That's what we are. Now I can heartily recommend, on high recommendation, two fabulous pubs and we're actually spoiled because on either side of the canal we have two pubs. Uh, the first is the Tame Otter. Now if you're going to come and do this walk yourself, arguably this is the best place to, uh, to leave your car. Um, obviously if you're going to leave it there, go and grab a pint either before or after uh, your walk. I'm not condoning drinking and driving of course, uh, it's just an expression or grab yourself something to eat. Or if the Tame Otter doesn't tickle your fancy, or maybe it's full, then just hop across the canal bridge and go and visit the Red Lion. Fantastic pub, I've actually gigged in both of those pubs with the band, but that's a story for another day. So passing underneath the Litchfield Road Bridge, we're actually going to come off the canal. And we're going to, uh, we're going to turn left, we're going to go through the Tame Otter car park, at the end of which we're then going to bear right. Now, there is a pillbox that we're not necessarily going to go and visit, but we will uh, sort of doth our cap to it, shall we say. Because that pillbox is the pillbox on the opposite side of the uh, river crossing bridge to the one we previously mentioned. And that pillbox, I thought, had been lost uh, to time. But actually, in the result of a new housing estate being built, the pillbox has been unearthed, and it's actually been preserved, which is absolutely fantastic, because... This is something we need to champion and we need to encourage more so because it really breaks my heart when I see not just necessarily pillboxes but old buildings and so forth being demolished to make way for houses. It's such a shame. So preserving this piece of history is massively, massively important. Now you can get a glimpse of this pillbox either from the road bridge as you stand on the bridge and look towards Hotworth and over to the left you'll see this pillbox or 
if you uh, if you walk just bare off down to the left as you turn out right out of the Tame Otter car park, you'll actually uh, be able to catch a glimpse of the pillbox. It's the same pillbox as the other ones we've, we've talked about, the Top 24, uh, bulletproof one, but nonetheless, it's a little slice of history that uh, is still there, thankfully. If you do wish to visit the third pillbox on our little jaunt, if you uh, turn left down two trees close, this is where you'll find it at the end of that, just on the left. Now, I've actually found myself a very handy bench, so I'm going to sit down, I'm going to take my jacket off because it's getting very warm, and I'm going to indulge myself in a can of Pepsi Max. This is not a paid partnership, by the way. I wish it was. So we're going to continue on our jolly now, on towards the next pillbox. And I thought it'd be worthwhile to just mention about the main ways that pillboxes were actually constructed. So you can imagine, cast your mind's eye back to 1940. Troops have been evacuated from Dunkirk. Germany's turned its sights on the UK. And there is common feeling in Great Britain that invasion would happen. For those in the Channel Islands, it was only a matter of time. But here in the UK, on the mainland Britain, that is, a huge building program was underway. So we mentioned earlier about beaches and landing grounds. It wasn't just happening there. It was, of course, happening here, further inland. Because if the enemy gained a foothold on the landing beaches, as Churchill said, we were going to fight them in the streets. There's pillboxes built in town and even city centres. There was pillboxes outside Westminster. But also, there was pillboxes and defences in the fields. And this is where it was hoped that should the Germans attack, and evade, this is where it was going to be decided, and that mobile defence reserve we talked about would be brought up. Now pillboxes, there was, there was thousands of them built, there was nearly 30,000 pillboxes built across the UK, and there's only around a third of those that actually still survive, along with numerous other defensive structures to boot. But focusing on pillboxes, the main method of construction was concrete, and what they would do is the building parties would come along sometimes you'd have like the royal engineers would build them they were busy building auxiliary unit bases of course but also they'd be used to create uh, pillboxes and other defensive positions but also civil laborers would be brought in as well and the method of construction the majority of these positions specifically pillboxes would be to use wooden battens and to create a sort of wooden structure uh, out of uh, these wooden battens and then to pour the concrete in and let it set. Now when we get to the next pillbox I'll talk you through what I can see there but when you look at many pillboxes you can tell almost instantly just how they were constructed. If you see little ripple lines roughly every sort of uh, six inches apart that is where those battens have left their sort of imprint and their story in the concrete. So we're now battling our way through uh, quite heavy undergrowth at the moment on this public footpath. And we have just got the uh, fourth pillbox on this uh, sort of journey in sight. Now, this pillbox again, like all the other pillboxes on this stop line, bar the very last one, which we'll get to all in good time, don't worry, is again a, a bulletproof Type 24 pillbox. And this is a pillbox which until recently I didn't actually know was there. And the only reason I found out that it was there was through a fantastic piece of software which is available completely free of charge called EDOB. 
This is the defences of Britain uh, sort of map and archive. I'll put a link to this inside the um, inside the description of this podcast. So what we've got here is another Type 24 pillbox. It's set back about 15 metres from the River Tame. And again, its purpose is to help slow and delay the enemy advance should they have got to this location. So we're going to go inside this one and have a little bit of a look around. So we're actually inside the pillbox now. And as you can imagine, it's a bit of an echo chamber, so I'm going to talk as quietly as I can. Maybe it could double up as a bit of a calming, soothing audiobook. Who knows? Okay, so we're inside the pillbox. And like I mentioned, this pillbox was actually hidden under undergrowth until very recently, which means that there's not much detritus inside, which is a posh word for rubbish, or um, sort of any sort of uh, you know, bodily fluids or uh, solid, shall we say, which is always a welcome uh, break from the usual kind of experience inside these places. Now, what's great about this pillbox is inside here, you can actually see where the embrasures have been painted black inside. And you can also see the differentiation between the lower portion of the pillbox inside and the uh, uppermost. So the lower part was typically painted uh, white and the upper part was typically painted black or a very dark green. The reason why is if an enemy caught a glimpse of the uh, loophole or the embrasure, they wouldn't uh, see it silhouetted with white behind it. So it would essentially act as a, a form of camouflage. You can also see as well, just below all the embrasures, there are little uh, pegs, which is where the shells would originally have gone in, uh, inside the pillbox. So it's a remarkable pillbox. The blast wall's in phenomenal condition inside. You can see elements of the paintwork as well, which is absolutely tremendous. What we're going to do now is we're going to pop outside and we're going to carry on our journey. I think it's very worth mentioning that if you're tempted to go into a pillbox or to have a look around any of these structures, always just try and have a, a little look through the embrasures to see what's inside because you'll find um, typically people will leave things in there uh, that once belonged to them. Uh, there's also some dangerous things in there, some sort of barbed wire and so forth, and it's just always worth checking these things. Now, this particular pillbox, when I came about 18 months ago, I went to go in and there was actually uh, an adder um, actually sat in the doorway of it on the concrete basking in the sun. And I didn't see it until the last minute and then it moved. And um, yeah, it's always just worth checking these things before um, you get flying into these pillboxes. 
Now, whenever I'm out visiting pillboxes or defensive locations, my mind can't help but put itself perhaps back to the 1940s and think, what would it have been like to be a soldier on sentry in one of these pillboxes? Just knowing that the enemy could be upon you within hours. It's a really scary thought. You know, it's one that we almost can't quite put into words. I would definitely have not liked the idea of being inside a small confined space offering very little protection against German tanks and field artillery. It's certainly not for me. But who were the guys typically inside these structures? Now, straight away, home guard. That is that is who typically would have manned these. So the home guard was of course brought to fruition to free up uh, ordinary, regular and territorial soldiers for the front. So for this mobile defence reserve, this mobile defence force that we've spoken of before, they would be the, dare I say, the cream of, of what Britain had to offer, Britain and its uh, Commonwealth allies, of course. There's a lot of Canadians over here in 1940, a whole division of them. And this defence force would have had the best men, the best equipment, weapons and armour as well. Now the Home Guard in 1940 wasn't particularly uniform. Some of them, as a, lo a local defence volunteers as they were, they were using you know, even brooms as, as weapons to carry to drill with. That's the typical Dad's Army sort of um, mindset that we have, that, the way of we, that we think of them. But a lot of these guys were using uh, World War I rifles at the time. They were using the SMLE. They had improvised weapons as well. Things like spigot mortars were coming to fruition. And they were a bit of a force to be reckoned with, to be fair. And they would have, they would definitely have stood their ground because it's not all about weapons and training. They had the desire to protect their own homes. Like we saw in the latter half of the Second World War with the Germans, they put up a stiff resistance in Germany. They were defending their homeland. And the same would have happened here had the enemy invaded. These structures were not manned continuously through the Second World War. Typically, they would be manned for stretches of time. So when they were first built and um, you know, sort of open to be used, that's when they would typically be manned 24-7, a set period of time. But then they'd also be used for training exercises, or if there was an alert went out, that the invasion was highly likely, then they would be manned. But they certainly wouldn't be uh, manned 24-7. And indeed, by the 6th of June 1944, of course, D-Day, this is when they began to fall out of use. So when these structures were manned, they would typically have around four or five men in each one. Almost all of them exclusively armed with 303 rifles. If they were lucky, they would have a Bren between them, which is a light machine gun. 30-round um, magazine, although you'd only really put about 20 out or maximum of 29 rounds in, so the springs of the magazine. But this is all those guys were typically armed with. You might potentially between a company have a boys anti-tank rifle in the first half of the uh, Second World War. But these guys were typically only armed with uh, small arms. Nothing, nothing serious to take on anything like tanks or uh, field pieces or mechanised artillery. The role of the um, anti-tank sort of element, that's where the natural defences like the river came into use. That was, you can't cross a river easily with a tank, especially if there's no bridge. That's why they'd use tank ob uh, obstacles actually on bridges, such as anti-tank cylinders, anti-tank vertical rails, and they'd also have the option of blowing bridges up too. And the canal that we've just come from, 
those bridges there are actually rigged up to be blown should the enemy ride over them. Now I haven't done this walk for what must be six months and it's miraculous just how much the landscape can change. The natural side of it, I've actually had to come through a field of um, sort of head high corn, which is uh, a bit of an experience. It almost makes me feel like I'm in, in the Fellowship of the Ring at the very start of The Hobbits, but there we go. That's my Lord of the Rings geek coming out. But nature aside, I can see the tree which marks where the pillbox roughly is just on the uh, horizon in front of me. Then I look at the man-made element of it, and there's, there must be a hundred houses that have sprung up on a housing estate. And I remember seeing the sort of foundations going in this time last year. But it's just, just amazing how much the horizon can change. And I think the saving grace for these pillboxes, because I hope in my lifetime, and indeed never, they are destroyed and, and you know sort of mown down for houses but I think their saving grace will be the river because where I'm walking on is a natural floodplain and I really really hope that these pillboxes are here for future generations to to learn from to an element enjoy as well but I'm a very strong advocate that a great way of defending these slices of history these last bastions of the defense of Britain during second world war is to turn them into bat roosts that's a great way because it benefits the natural environment and the habitat but it also protects the pillboxes from being torn down in the future and that's something I'd love to see the Tame Valley Wetlands Project perhaps introduce in the very near future. So you might just be able to hear some uh, sort of thundering water behind me and this leads us very nicely to where the next pillbox is and this pillbox like all the pillboxes to be fair are incredibly unique. So this pillbox has been strategically placed here because you have the natural channel of the River Tame coming down, but you also have a huge flood relief channel. And those two, the River Tame and the flood relief channel, actually merge at this point. And opposite where they merge, a pillbox has been located. Now this pillbox, a Type 24 bulletproof pillbox, it follows the same layout and design as all the other pillboxes on this stop line. However, it does have a couple of unique features. It actually has two pieces of concrete at the base of it uh, with, with sort of holes in it are about four and a half inches in diameter on either side of the box. Now the reason they're there and what we can surmise from is this was actually had a disguise and all pillboxes along here, if you look at them today, this isn't what they looked like during the Second World War. The pillboxes we went up to and visited up in Hotworth were disguised as ash heaps and as uh, farmers cottages and uh, such as uh, trackside sheds if they're near, near the railway. Now this one had a pitched roof on it so it was made to look like a little cottage. Now you have to kind of imagine if you're flying you know German aircraft you're in Luftwaffe and you're flying overhead you're looking for little bunkers and things like this to get intelligence from and information. Then if you're just looking around in the middle of a field you see these random little structures that are all the same shape you're going to know what it is it's, pr it's fairly obvious what they are. But if you start disguising them as things like an ash heap or as a little cottage or a trackside shed, then from the air, they just look like a trackside shed. They don't look like a um, defensive structure. Now, with the pitch roof that was on here, you also had something called shuttering, and shuttering is what disguised the pillbox. So what we have here is on the exterior of the box is little holes about an inch in diameter. And this is where uh, wooden uh, shuttering and boards would be put over the pillbox and it could be removed if required and updated 
and this helps it uh, sort of break up the outline of what it is and disguise uh, the purpose of the, the box and hide the embrasures. Now one of the pillboxes further up past Hotbus, which we haven't visited, we might do that on another stretch of the journey, is actually has remnants of uh, corrugated steel around the base of it. There's only a little bit of it that remains now, but that is corrugated steel and it would be there to actually break up the outline and silhouette of the pillbox. We're going to very briefly wander inside here and see what state it's in. Now this is visited by people on a regular basis, however I can see cobwebs are in here, but we also have, um, we, because we're on a floodplain like I mentioned, we do get quite a lot of detritus uh, floating in here. Now it's quite interesting because when I last came in here there was like a metal bed frame and some chairs uh, and pieces of wood and I think what's happened is someone's actually had a fire in here, in fact they have, they have had a fire in here which is a, which is a shame. Now. Um, not only is it dangerous, but it does degrade the building over time. And the paintwork inside here is actually quite nice. It's, it's quite well preserved. But you can see all the ash and, and sort of uh, bits and bobs burnt on the floor. That's, that's a real shame. That's unfortunately with these buildings on public footpaths and so forth, they will be uh, used for this purpose. There's a lot of drinks cans in here and so forth. But I suppose it's all part of the fabric of the building now. It's uh, kind of, it's kind of part of the story. And they have been used for that purpose for many years. I think we'd be a fool to say they haven't. And they do attract people for that very reason. We're going to leave uh, this pillbox and we're going to start journeying on to the next one. So uh, we'll join you back very shortly. The pillboxes on this stop line were never built to be in isolation. So what that means is along this stop line, the pillboxes are typically built around 150 meters as the crow flies from each other. And you'll typically find pillboxes um, constructed on the outside of a bend in the river. That means you can cover much more ground and you can see what's coming from both sides of the river as well if there's ever an amphibious assault. And the fields of fire of the pillboxes almost exclusively are interlocking for that very matter. But the pillboxes weren't the only defences. Now, what you have at the back of almost every pillbox at this period are trenches and barbed wire, because if guys need to get into a pillbox, or indeed get out of a pillbox, they're gonna be very open to enemy fire. So trenches, slit trenches were, were dug behind them to help dissipate and move the troops from and to the pillbox as required. Be barbed wire, sandbags to help them as well. And uh, unfortunately, none of these survive on this stop line now, but you can almost paint a picture in your mind's eye. So as we continue our journey, we can see the sprawling metropolis of Tamworth laid out before me. And we're only arguably about a mile away from Tamworth itself. It might be worth just mentioning that Tamworth was actually, well, not only the ancient capital of Mercia of all places, but uh, it's also where the stop line we're on actually started. So Tamworth is a town which is built on where two rivers converge. And if you've ever heard of Tamworth Castle or been there, you'll know where I'm talking about. And there's a bridge there called Lady Bridge. And that is where stop line number five actually begins. And as we do come closer to, uh, to Tamworth, those, those houses that I mentioned earlier, they're very close to the river actually. I, 
I wouldn't fancy living in one of those, especially when we've had quite a bit of rain, which we aren't due. But there we go. I'll build them anywhere these days, as long as I don't touch these pillboxes. And it might just be worth talking about when these pillboxes fell out of use. So with the invasion of Normandy, the threat by then had almost diminished to, to nothing. But certainly by the sort of September, October of 44, it was realised that you know the Home Guard could begin to stand down and the auxiliary units were stood down too. And after the war, any pillboxes that were on private land, the Ministry of Defence or War Office at that point, they would pay a small amount, I think it was £10, correct me if I'm wrong, to each landowner for every pillbox they had, uh, the money of which was to demolish the pillbox. Now, as is evident, a lot of these landowners just pocketed the money and left the pillboxes, which is fantastic. I mean, at the time, you could arguably say it's a little bit out of order to take the money and run, but God, isn't it a good job they did? Because these are incredible slices of history, which is just on our doorstep. It's amazing. You can go almost anywhere in the United Kingdom and you'll find something World War II related to the defences. And they stand testament as to just how serious a threat and how much at risk we were of invasion during the Second World War. As we begin to weave our way to the next pillbox, it's just in sight. I'm going to tell you a little story about this pillbox. Now, about 12 months ago, an account popped up on TikTok. And I was sent this video by a few of our followers on there. And it was of a number of lads who were attesting to restoring a World War II pillbox. And I watched the first video and I was almost floored in a really positive way. These lads were, were actually clearing the rubbish out of the pillbox. They were bagging it up. And the video showed them doing such an amazing job. And I recognised the pillbox. It was a pillbox I visited numerous times and I'm going to visit again in a minute. Now the second video came out and I thought, hmm, okay, they're having a couple of drinks and they turn it into a bit of a den. And then the third video came out and it showed them installing like lights and party features and you know having a proper party in there. And I thought, hmm, I'm gonna go and have a look at this. So I went down to this pillbox and I had a look around and I was really disgusted with what I was so upset. What they'd done is they had cleared the rubbish out of the pillbox, but they'd actually chucked it all through the embrasures outside of the box. They put loads of rubbish in there as well, as all drinks cans everywhere. And on the outside of the pillbox, there's loads of graffiti had appeared. Now, I don't know if it was those, those people, I'm not sure, but only a few months before that graffiti wasn't there. And it was really heartbreaking. So I came down here with a couple of bin bags and I gathered up uh, as much rubbish as I could and took that rubbish home and got rid of it. And uh, we're almost at the pillbox now. So we'll go and see what's lurking for us. So we've got to said pillbox now, and you can see the graffiti is still daubing the outside of the pillbox. And, it, and it's a shame because the pillbox itself, like all the other pillboxes on this stop line, are, are in really good condition. They've really stood the test of time. However, I can see, just inquiring inside, that there is numerous golden arches, wrappers and papers inside, uh, as, long, as, well, as well as cider cans and beer cans and, and quite a copious amount of rubbish on the uh, extremis of the box too and a traffic cone as well so um, yeah it, as we get closer towards well I would say civilization but it doesn't quite feel like it you can certainly see more and more rubbish and, the, and these frankly it's really sad these frankly amazing 
structures and relics from the past just being abused and in the current trend I'd be surprised if these structures are still here at the end of my lifetime which is a real shame but hopefully people will learn from them hopefully a bit of awareness will happen in terms of you know the kind of content that we put out in videos we do and people will start to understand the incredible tale that these structures have to tell we're going to leave this pillbox now before I get too angry and upset and we're going to go and visit the next pillbox which is near enough in Tamworth um, town centre and again we won't be going into that pillbox because that being very close to the river is where it floods a lot and you do get quite a lot of copious amounts of uh, rubbish in there as well now the future of these marvelous structures is something that dominates my sort of thinking on a on a near regular basis i always think you know what what can we do what can i do to help preserve these things because we look at, i mean i can see tamworth castle now a marvelous structure the story of that goes back to anglo-saxon times and the story is still being told now it's an amazing structure in its own right but if someone didn't have the foresight at the turn of the 20th century to gift it to tamworth castle for people to enjoy then what would become of it now i'd love to know and i should imagine it wouldn't be a positive thing either and the same demise that end could happen to these structures from world war ii and that's a really really sad thought to say i mean this is only 80 years just over 80 years ago now that these structures were being built and could well have been put into use if things hadn't gone our way and for those to be lost to time or in some cases to a housing estate being built it's just absolute tragic and it shouldn't be allowed to happen but what is happening at a council level or government level with these structures well not very much that's the easiest way of saying it if anything some councils to give them their due have actually provided a listed status or a protected status to these structures but where i live in tamworth unfortunately they don't have any protection at all now there is an entity called tame valley wetlands and they focus on the on the sort of wildlife and and uh, sort of heritage of the town valley which is where we are now which stretches all the way up to to burton from tamworth and they've done quite an extensive study on the the pillboxes in the town valley which is really interesting they've done a really good job There's a few 3d models and so forth really interesting because the stop line that we're on although it starts pretty much where i'm stood it journeys all the way up through the national memorial arboretum just outside burton and it continues all the way up to uh, to alton so if anyone's ever been to alton towers that's where the stop line there uh, continues through and it stops just north of alton and i will be going there in a few weeks so i'm very looking forward to going there and i'll try and visit a few pillboxes but the future of these structures is, is completely up in the air it really really is i'd love to see some form of protected status given to them but it's very unlikely well the next pillbox is in sight so let's go and have a nose so i've just arrived at the well our final pillbox on this stop line but the very first pillbox on the stop line and pillbox again is, is bulletproof type 24 there's a lot of sediment inside it a lot of rubbish inside and outside as well there's, there's cans and everything it's such a shame because it's a lovely place but unfortunately this is a very much a sort of beacon to which the uh, younger fraternity of tamworth seem to uh, draw themselves to to socialize and it's quite 
a juxtaposition in that sense that although this building was built you know to defend the country and to defend Tamworth specifically uh, you know in its darkest time it's now used by some people in their happiest time I suppose I don't know I'm not much of a wordsmith but juxtaposition is a nice fancy word I'll use it again the juxtaposition of this pillbox which I'm currently sat on with Tamworth Castle and Ladybridge overlooking it and then a number of 1960s flats high-rises overlooking it as well is is very surreal in that sense and it's a very tranquil beautiful spot I can actually see uh, two herons only about 20 meters away from where I am and I should imagine the herons much like this pillbox have strategically placed themselves here uh, looking for prey now what we're going to do is we're going to go onto Ladybridge and we're going to cross the river now the reason why the stop line was built here although nowadays this roadway across the river isn't in use it's only accessible for um, sort of pedestrians and pedal cycles and the occasional off-road bike for that matter the roadway in the 40s was the main uh, way into Tamworth and out of Tamworth uh, for anyone wishing to go to to Birmingham so this was a really real vital strategic place to be defended and although I haven't been able to find the evidence of it I should imagine that there would be some chambers dug into this bridge which would have been exploded if the enemy did arrive but what we're going to do is we're going to come away from the pillbox uh, which I've just clocked has still got the original um, earth mound on top of it, the remnants of, I should say, which was used to camouflage it from above. So if anyone was taking an aerial photo, it would just like it blended into its natural um, landscape. But we're going to leave this pillbox. We're going to go to the bridge and we're going to cross over uh, towards Tamworth Castle. So I'm now in Tamworth itself at the base of the ancient fortress of Tamworth Castle. Behind me, there is a pillbox. It's not a Type 24, it's a irregular shape, uh, rectangular pillbox. And it's actually hidden nowadays behind ivy and, and undergrowth. Uh, it's on private lands, so we can't get in there. But this pillbox actually faces uh, sort of perpendicular to the road bridge. That's not the only defense here. We do have two other defenses too. So we actually have uh, some uh, garrote anchor points. So this, I'm just looking at one of them now. It's a concrete pillar about two and a half feet high and what it's got is a, a sort of metal ring on the top now to the top of that would be attached uh, a clip with a metal cable which stretched across the roadway and clipped to one on the opposite side of the of the road and that would be put into position if the bridge was ever under attack to uh, garrote any outriders or dispatch riders on, on motorcycles and so forth to actually stop them from um, getting across the bridge and establishing a foothold so very interesting but that does bring this episode installments of the living history uk podcast to an end i'm going to go and grab uh, a nice ice cold cider from the tamworth tap thanks for listening and we'll see you all again soon keep history alive if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it then why not send us a paypal donation all donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.